Collective Conversations is a podcast of the Nazarene Collective. We are people from diverse communities united with one mission and one vision that invites us all to take our next steps of faith following Jesus together. Sometimes these steps seem massive or more like a baby step for others. And more often than not, we don't take these steps alone. When walking with others, next steps often take place as we simply move at the speed of relationship, one conversation at a time. Welcome to Collective Conversations. Welcome back to Collective Conversations. Sean and I are back with you once again to talk from the sermon series we're in called The Seven. And today we take a look at the Church of Pergamum. Now, um, just a little recap, if you haven't been with us, I encourage you to go back and listen to podcasts as well, go back and listen to the, to the teachings themselves. But we started off in Ephesus, yep. uh, where we had the, the reminder to never forget our first love and, and live in the tension of that first love, which, remember, includes that great commandment, not only of loving God, but... Loving others. Yes, there it is. And we're going to live in that tension with drawing the lines that we feel like we need to draw. Then as we moved on forward, we talked about consumerism and just the impact that that could negatively have on us uh, as followers, learn from that teaching. And then with Pergamon, we, talk, we talked about compromise and just the, the, the reality of needing to acknowledge that that can sneak into our lives, can sneak into a church and and what it means to truly repent. Just encourage you to go back, listen to all those teachings so far. Um, we feel like it's just been a good a good time of us as a church walking through some scripture together and just have been seeing some just some cool stuff happening in the services. It's been fun. It, it has been good for us to kind of dive in and take these approaches uh, of we're not trying to tell you what to think, just to have you open your mind uh, to truth and uh, to discover what what the Holy Spirit is is laying in your life and for our understanding and and uh, it's just been powerful. It's been very very powerful. I would agree. Uh, today, we're, before we get into the end times discussion, I know some of you that's what you're waiting for. The rapture. We're, we're going <laughs> to talk about the rapture. But before we do that, we want to go back uh, to a little bit from the Pergamum. Uh, letter and that message that was for them. And a couple of things, I, I talked a little bit in, um, in most of the services. Every now and then, if you haven't figured out, sometimes when I preach, not every service is exactly like the other ones. But one thing I talked about was um, when we look in particular into that letter, it talks about, there are a few things that were just crazy that we tried to understand. This hidden manna, uh, the, the white stones with with your name being written on it, and a name that only you and God would understand. But in particular, I promise to talk about the hidden manna. And what I need you to do is think Indiana Jones for a minute here. Uh, because when it references that hidden manna, one thing I didn't want to take the time to dive into is there are just different theories on what this is. Now, in the service, we talked about the idea of that hidden manna obviously representing the manna and what we know from uh, scripture and how God provided and how it strengthened and sustained the Israelites. And then there were some people who said, well, I think this is talking about Jesus as the bread of life. Mm. And so people approached it that way. Others thinking it was the word and that through God's word, um, there are the beautiful hidden truths that only believers are going to desire to comprehend. But some people have said that the reason it was hidden is connected to the Ark of the Covenant. Now, second century rabbis, and who's going to argue with a second century rabbi? Just Indiana Jones. That's true. Uh, they believe Josiah, when he was the king of Judah, he said, we're going to bury and hide the ark 
the jar of manna, the, the jar of holy anointing oil, the rod of Aaron, all this stuff, we're going to make it be hidden that way. So that is where some people believe uh, that was the reference that Jesus was giving there. And now you see why I didn't want to do that on a Sunday morning in a service. That makes perfect sense. Keith, that was wisdom. That was wisdom rising to the top. <laughs> Perhaps. All right. Uh, so I did want to hit on, though, I want to go back to one of the first verses we talked about, because when we, we talked about this church, now I'm going to read out Revelation chapter 2. It's uh, verses 12 and 13. It was just the beginning of the section of that, that message to them. So these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain, and hear that word remain, true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Now, beyond making my uh, reference to Saturday Night Live and talking about the church lady, um, more importantly, I hope that you will hear this word, remain. Because as we spoke about it, it was awesome. These people didn't renounce their faith, even when they saw somebody die for their faith, that they they were remaining true to his name. When we talked about on Sunday, we talked about remaining true to his name in your life, at work, school, home, just all those different ways, just asking that deeper question of, am I doing that? But this is where I want to take it a little bit deeper. When you think of that word remains, he's commending them for not running and hiding. He's commending mm. them for not doing their faith in isolation. And um, if there was ever a situation like we talked about on Sunday, that, that was difficult to do. I mean, they, they were experiencing... Uh, and the influence of Satan so clearly in their uh, city and in all those ways, and they didn't run and hide. They did not isolate. They didn't pack up and leave. They stayed in the community, I believe, to share the gospel. Now, God was using them, I think, as a light on a hill, shining in some dark. And I think the life of isolation is not the way to go. Uh, I don't believe we're supposed to just hide out. Um, we are supposed to be a part of that light on the hill. We need to shine into the darkness. And I, I would say, because I found myself going, okay, I make that statement, and then I know there's always somebody that's nervous about going, oh, but if I go too far into the world, is is it going to corrupt me and change me? Right. It, and I could see that, but you, there's the isolation and insulation. Mm. Uh, kind of leads to starvation. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have to be uh, with the people and and believing and trusting uh, that God is still in control and still mm-hmm. in charge, and He's faithful in our life, and He's not called us to isolate and insulate. That we've we've got to keep got to keep moving. And I can think for myself when I go. I'm going to use a broad term of go into the world, but when I'm when I am out surrounded with those who don't know Christ, aren't walking with him, or even into some places that I would go that are, you could argue, I mean, that's, that is under an influence that is not of God. I always look at it this way, that when I, when I go in those spaces and in those places and hang with those people, if I'm pulling them to Jesus in any way, shape, or form, I feel like God's at work. I, I, I'm aware of that. I know what's going on. The moment when I can start telling that they're pulling me away from Jesus, that's when I step back. Right. That, that's when I just recognized, all right, I, I don't want to be tempted in this moment to go a path I know I shouldn't. And so then the healthy boundaries may go up. Well, you have to have some, some boundaries and some alarms that go off, right? Like if you start going down a path that you know, you know, my, our uh, high school football coach used to say, if you got to think about it, it's wrong. <laughs> you know, that once you start entering in the thinking about it and justifying the action, um, then you got to pump the brakes. Yeah. And and turn and about face and go. Hey, this isn't good for me. 
Yeah, and I, and I truly believe the Holy Spirit, who is within us, is leading us and guiding us in those moments. We just need to make sure that we're we're paying attention. Totally well, agree. One other thought from the sermon on Sunday actually came to me in an email uh, from Fred Prince. He's part of our uh, Valparaiso campus. Uh, great guy, former pastor. Uh, he retired, man, just within the last few years, I believe. But he's brilliant. He is brilliant. Fred sent me an email and just was uh, had some thoughts from the sermon, and I loved his email and it. His thought I want to share with you came out of the last verse of that section. That's verse 17 of chapter 2. Uh, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. Remember, we talked about that. I will give some of the hidden manna. There's a hidden manna. I also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Um, we talked about the the one who's victorious is the person who has endured in difficult situations that they've been going through. And we talked about that that person who's victorious is the one who did, uh, in essence, resist and not compromise when the opportunities were there. But also, we talked about that the person who's victorious is the one who repents. Now, I, I love what Fred had to say because there's that section in there, and we talked about this. If you, if like, once again, if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it because it's these are. Yeah crazy um, metaphors that the writer's using as we're trying to read through this, but he talks, when we talked about the white stone and it mentioned the new name and it talked about, you know, what is that? Do we get a new name in heaven? If we do, do we get, to, do we get any input on that? Um, or is this just referencing some of the transformation and change in our life? But Fred had an awesome perspective, I think a beautiful analogy. He related to the idea that that new name that is only known by you, that that's an intimate connection. He talked about when you give your kids or maybe your grandkids a special nickname and no one else knows that name except that kid or grandkid. And it becomes that incredible intimate connection of using that name as a part of your relationship. I just thought when he said that, I'm like, Fred, I wish he would have sent that email before I got up for second service. Cause I would, <laughs> I would have used that. Cause I just thought it was a beautiful analogy that spoke well to the, the heart of that scripture. So you would have cheated the first service crowd with that nugget of gold. I would have, but I wouldn't have known it at that moment. Well, then it's really not cheating. You're just enhancing there you the go. second service. Exactly. Well, those are some of our additional thoughts uh, just from that Church of Pergamum, that part of, of uh, Chapter 2 that we've been working through. So now we want to take some time, dive into back into our end-time conversation. The to- rapture. <laughs> rapture. 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 <laughs> We're going to spend a little bit of time here talking about that. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we sort of laid a foundation that I think is essential for us, and that is the essential belief of all this. At the heart of what we are telling you, we 100% believe is that Jesus is coming back. Now, how exactly that unfolds is up to interpretation, and we welcome different views uh, that don't take away from that essential truth. You start taking away from the essential truth of Jesus not returning, then then we're gonna have to have we're gonna have some very gracious filled words, but we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about it. Well, last week when we were having the conversation about the thousand-year reign of Jesus, we gave you multiple views on that. Those views laid the groundwork for the conversation we have today, that we experience these different elements at the end time. And today, in particular, we're going to talk about the rapture. Rapture! <laughs> Here we go. Well, it's, you know, the end times, the rapture, the de- it, it defines this time, this tribulation, and... Uh, and it really is about us, this idea of connected with the millennial view that we discussed last week called uh, dispensationalism. Uh, and to understand the rapture, you have to talk about the tribulation. The tribulation is a seven-year period at the end times where a lot of things unfold as God's final judgment comes into full view. 
And it's also start connecting some dots. It's where you read the seven trumpets and the seven bowls and comes before the thousand-year reign. And, <clears throat> and so when we talk about the rapture, uh, it's a Latin word that's used. Uh, we see it in 1 Thessalonians uh, 4.17. And this is what it says. Is after that, he who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And and it's that's where we kind of see it get the the beginning and the debate exists with the rapture is when does it happen, so when does the rapture really take place, and and that's what we'll talk about today. And the and is before the tribulation, is it in the middle of the tribulation, is it at the end? And we're going to talk about these three views of the rapture, provide a rebuttal for each one. Why we could kind of argue one way or the other. So it's pre-tribulation mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. So I'm going to start us off talking about the pre-trib view. And that's probably the most commonly held belief, the view today. It's where you get your movies, your books. We've talked before about Left Behind and, right. and those type of things. So the last century, uh, you, you see it really come into play. So in regards to that seven-year tribulation, this obviously believes the church will not be a part of that tribulation at all. So how do they land there? Well, they have a couple different th- ideas that would speak to that. Um, first of all, uh, a good argument you could use, I, I would say, is that the church itself, that word the church, isn't mentioned after Revelation chapter 3. And so they would break, uh, this view would break Jesus' coming, sort of second coming, his return, into two stages. Stage one is where Jesus meets his followers in the air. And that, once again, we go back to First Thessalonians chapter 4. This is verses 13 to 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you will not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God, hear this next part, that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that he, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So you're seeing some of those same verses, some of the same language there. Um, Stage two thought then on Jesus' return. So remember the second coming, For if you take this view, you've got sort of the thought of him coming twice. The first one, he's just coming in the air. We're just... This is floating up in the air, Jesus. He's not stepping foot on on the planet. However, when he returns the second time of the second time, Jesus returns with his followers to establish his kingdom. So when he returns with the church to establish, it, it's going to usher in that thousand year reign that we talked about last last week. So the and some of the thought too on this view is now, if all the Christians. If all the people who have accepted Jesus as their Messiah are a part of this pre-rapture before the tribulation, then that means the focus is now on saving the Jews and restoring Israel. And that's that's where that view lands. Yeah, and and clearly there's no book deal in this for us, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> clearly we're 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 not. There's that's not gonna happen. Um but you never know. We could just write it on our own and and hope for the best. But uh, the the kind of the rebuttal is the argument against this pre-trip thought is he goes back to the First Thessalonian four seventeen verse that I read. The word for meeting here describes going to meet a dignitary and then accompanying them 
uh, to the place from which they came out, which sounds more like Jesus returned to establish kingdom versus a rescue mission or a rescue of the tribulation. And Jesus really never mentions it. Uh, and and the, the whole thought that we wouldn't be a part of the suffering is hard to really get your arms around when when one of you know in Luke when he says you got to deny yourself pick up your cross and follow me which pick up your cross is not is not um easy peasy no right so um and and then he goes on to say uh in John 17:15 my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one hmm. and so it, there's just it's hard to imagine it's hard for me to imagine that it's it's our get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. That's that, that's part of the rebuttal. That that yeah, the world's about to get really bad, but Jesus' rapture is we're going to be be safe. Now, I, personally, if we're alive when that happens, I hope it's right. I don't want to be here for that. You know that sounds terrible, but I can't I can't justify it. So that's the the rebuttal part, and and the best part is I can argue for and against all of these. Exactly. Yep. So we're again we're not here to tell you what to think. We're just laying the table, and you can decide for yourself as followers of Jesus what you want to go with. So the mid trip view really is this middle of the tribulation. So at the three and a half year mark, where believers will experience the first three and a half years. The first half is more of natural events, experiencing Satan's fury, the Antichrist persecution, but not God's wrath. And when we read of the trumpets, the first three and a half years would include six of the trumpets. And since God's wrath isn't for the church, that is why would they exit. And Matthew 24, 22 says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And he also, and we see Paul say in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the man doomed to destruction. And and we can look at the words of Daniel when we see some scripture supporting the mid-trib, uh, Daniel 7.25, he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and a half a time. The scripture indicates that the Antichrist will have power over the saints for three and a half years, and time, time, and time and a half is three and a half years. Right, and so that, man, that obviously implies, okay, those believers are yeah. around for a little while. Well, some pushback against that mid-trib thought um, is still using some of the same scripture. You're going to hear us use some of the same scripture over and over again as these debates come into play. But First Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the thought there is, if we're not supposed to experience any kind of wrath, then we would be removed at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where some of those thoughts, um, therefore... Once again, it's the thought and argument would be, we don't go through the tribulation. So they would pull that up. Some other verses that speak probably more to pre-trib and address this issue of wrath, Romans 5, 9, uh, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? I don't know that I fully agree with that one as in this context, but it's one that gets used. And I'm supposed to be given the rebuttal, so I can't argue with my own my own argument in the well, time. Well, that would just be weird. I would fail so, speech class. Yeah, they would not be happy with. No, nope. I, I feel like we're failing speech we, class anyway. So uh, go we did with that it. A long time ago, First Thessalonians one ten says, "And to wait for wait 
Okay. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us once again from the coming wrath. Revelations 3.10, since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, and this is a big one to go against the idea of having to go through anything, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. So as you can see, both sides of the coin there on the, on the yeah. mid on where people would land. Okay. The post-trip view is obviously pretty simple. It's just the thought that the rapture doesn't take place till after the tribulation. Revelation chapter seven, uh, we'll start in verse nine. Just take a look at a few verses here. But after, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders asked, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Well, if you come out of the Great Tribulation, that sure sounds like you had to go through it. And this is the view held by the early church. I mean, so they would, of course, argue this is the most long, longest held view. And so the rapture and this post-trib view would be at the end of the tribulation, right before the thousand-year reign of Christ. So the church meets Christ in the air, and the return of Jesus is happening at the same time. So the rapture and Jesus' second coming happening at the same time. Is there a sequence to it? I, I would, part of me wants to see, because we, we think in time, that there would have to be a sequence of them rising to meet him in the air, whatever unfolds in that moment before the return and we come with him. However that plays out, it, it's this image of those things happening at the same time. Now, some other arguments for post-trib would just be since church isn't mentioned after chapter 3, uh, the post-trib view takes the word saint, which gets mentioned quite a bit, and takes that to mean the church. They also have a view just of, all right, thinking back historically of what God had done in the Old Testament, did God take Noah out of his wrath, or did God protect him in the middle of his wrath? Because we know Noah had to endure the flood. And then you think of the Israelites. Did God take Israel out of Egypt during the 10 plagues, or did God protect Israel in Egypt as the plagues intensified. So just some quick thoughts on that post-trib view. The uh, post-trib rebuttal really is, wouldn't God protect his people from the punishment of those who reject him? And, and you know, that's a question like, where is our safety in, in following him? And, and then back to the thought that Revelation 4 through 21, you don't see the church mentioned in the tribulation. It's it, The church isn't mentioned. And uh, the church and saints, the word, the Greek word there is different. So it's they're just not the same. So it, it may be talking about different uh, groups of people or um, entities. And and then you go through and you look at the different verses that we've already mentioned, Romans 5, 9, and 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, and, and Revelation 3, 10. Um, these verses make us question this view, verse pre-trib, uh, when talking of God's wrath. And, and I, I think one of the things... I think one of the things that that we have to be really careful of is and is that you you begin to say well scripture is contradicting itself and it's not making you know so how how do we process that and and one of the things that uh, was told to me a long long time ago probably back in college 
was there are just different points in our life where when we read something, it means new things. It, it's more revealed to us. And uh, I, I think back to the story of the prodigal son, which I know has nothing to do with the end times. I get that. But the story of the prodigal son has so many different layers and multi-views to it. There's not one meaning of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. It's got all these. So when we're looking at this, it, it's it's not that we're hanging our hat on one or or we're saying scripture is invalid. We're actually validating it. We're we're getting us to chew on it and 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 really take it in and let it simmer. And that's what we want to have happen. And and that's kind of contrary to to where we live. We want an answer. We want a list. And it's not all going to be black and white and right. crystal clear. So you're probably wondering, what do we think? Which one do we line up with? Well, we are not going to tell you here. Nope. You want to come talk to us? <laughs> That's fine. But our safe answer is always... Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Well, hey, our next episode uh, is going to be a little different. We're getting into uh, the month of October. And when we get into that month, we're going to be beginning a new series here on the podcast where we're going to be talking about pilgrimage. And you're going to be hearing some stories and insights both into those who have gone on spiritual pilgrimages from VNC and some who have gone to the Holy Land. And then you'll find these Revelation churches as we continue to unpack them and some of the end times thought will be bonus episodes taking place in the next several weeks as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to uh, spending some time with you next week. We can't wait.